All right, hello everybody and welcome to Honey Badger Radio. My name is Brian and this is the Fireside Chat and today I have with me Blue Orange 22 um who is a YouTuber and MRA, he runs a Discord server as well. And uh yeah, so Blue Blue Orange 22, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm a big fan. All right, well thank you. Uh can I uh, address you as just Blue or you know should i just use the whole name like <laughs> yeah, usually uh in, in in the server i go by blue it's kind of uh, the nickname so blue is fine all right all right what's the uh, just out of curiosity what's the um backstory behind that user i mean i know that blue and orange Obviously, are complementary colors but yeah i actually kind of regret it because uh if you can tell i'm a miami hurricanes fan and oh, uh, a lot of people when they see when they see blue orange, they think I'm a Florida Gators fan because those are the Gator colors, and I am not a Gators fan in any way, <laughs> shape, or form. Uh, it was just purely random. I just wanted something that was easy to spell, easy to remember. Mm -hmm. Kind of, that's it. Yeah, it doesn't mean anything really. Yeah, so uh, I I just know that blue and orange are complementary colors because you know I'm an art. I was an art student, and uh, that means that they tend to go well together just like purple and yellow are also this the vikings colors for example purple and yellow LSU. are complementary colors and uh green and red which is what you florida lsu is always a florida lsu is always a gorgeous game in terms of uh, aesthetics so, yeah purple and yellow are is my one of my favorite color combinations for sure so uh, but anyway um i just thought i would ask so you, uh, I remember you from back when we used to still have a Honey Badger, official Honey Badger radio fan group page. And because um, because you would put your videos up, you started making videos discussing specific men's issues. Um, they were pretty straightforward. It was just you sitting in front of the camera explaining a specific issue or right or legal issue or whatever topic. Why did you decide that this is something you wanted to do? Now, I don't remember the first moment I became an MRA, but I remember in high school, I started noticing little differences, like there were vastly less scholarships available for men. Then I was being reminded to um, myself in for selective service and uh, register for that. And that mm -hmm. kind of led me down a path of just going online and reading about all these different laws and statistics all over the world. Um, like I was shocked to find out in many so-called progressive feminist countries, such as Norway, Sweden, Austria, Switzerland, the UK, um, those countries either have or once had recently higher pension ages for men, where the state pension age for men when they could retire was higher, uh, and or military conscription, only men. Austria considered one of the most gender neutral countries in the world today. But Austria also has conscription for all men, but not women, a higher pension age for men. And I started reading about the United States, and even though some of the laws may be equal on paper, I saw statistics for like domestic violence, homelessness, incarceration, where men were more likely to be homeless, men get longer sentences for the same crime, uh, the Duluth model for domestic violence is used by many police departments and male victims weren't taken seriously. 
circumcision was something that um, I remember uh, finding out about being very surprised. Uh, I always thought there was like an obvious benefit to it. And then I started doing the research on it and I saw, well, really, actually, it's not only not beneficial, but it's mostly harmful. And yet we do it to baby boys anyway, like without even thinking about it. And so kind of between the ages of 17 to 19, I was reading all these different things, learning all these different laws and studies and facts and kind of just developed naturally. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. It's sort of similar to um, my own journey. Just like finding things that seemed a little off and um, sort of snowballs, you know, you go down a rabbit hole, next thing you know, you know, it, it's overwhelming. And, and most people don't notice. Most people don't even consider it. And among them, I think, especially uh, men, because um, I, I think that men have been there. It's not in their nature to look for ways in which you know, they suffer because it's in their nature to use that energy to protect women. So, but, um, okay. So recently, uh, if I can were, just add, Oh yeah, go ahead. I can just, add, yeah, just, just, just to add to that. Um, someone might ask me, well, why the men's rights movement? Why not feminism? Because feminism, uh, is supposedly a movement for equality for women and men. Well, I've had so many experiences of bringing these issues and concerns to feminist forums, organizations, websites, blogs, etc., and overwhelmingly had a kind of negative or hostile reaction. I wasn't coming in saying men should be superior. I was coming in and saying, hey, look, you know, this issue happens to exist. And I'd get responses like, oh, you're just trying to hijack the conversation. You're just trying to make it all about men. And I'm saying, I'm really not. I'm just saying, look, there's two sides to an equation, right? Talking about equality, this is the sign for equality. There's two sides to an equation. All I'm saying is, let's give the other side some attention too. When I talked to MRAs, when I went to men's rights organizations, I found and still find today that overall, the men's rights movement is one of the most fair, equitable, reasonable, and rational movements I've ever come across. So um, I'm pretty happy in my identity as an MRA, and that's kind of what brought me to the, the men's rights movement. Yeah, yeah. So uh, let me ask you this. Uh, so you brought up your concerns to feminist organizations, uh, and they turned you away. They may have even shamed you, uh, insulted you, or at least uh, talked with you in bad faith. At least that's based on what you're telling me. So. Do you know why they did that? Or do you have a suspicion? You know, I mean, do I know? Obviously not. Do I have a suspicion? I would say, here's the thing. I'm not against the principle of feminism. And I've said this on my channel before. I am not against the idea of feminism. And I think there are many feminists who are genuinely well-intent people. They have good faith uh, intentions. They are honest and they want equality. But I think there's a lot of misinformation coming out of the more disingenuous side of feminism, which tends to be the more politically active organizations. I think the average human being on planet Earth who calls himself a feminist is probably a good person who wants equality. But there's so much information and there's such little awareness of men's issues that an honest person might take someone coming across as an MRA 
as being an attack on themselves. When I asked Sam Cedar, you know, what's your first impression of an MRA? And his first answer was, well, to be honest, I think you're a lunatic. And a lot of people really believe that because it's the information that gets fed to them. So I think it's two parts. Uh, the answer to that question, what's my suspicion as to why they respond with hostility or shaming, whatever. I think either they are brainwashed and manipulated to see MRAs in a negative light, or they're being intentionally dishonest and disingenuous. And I think it's a mix of the two. And why do you believe it might be the case that there is so much misinformation? Uh, no, actually, I take it a step further. I think that there is outright um, propaganda that's put out there about not just MRAs, but anything that is sort of tangentially related to it. You know, like if it's uh, men in the man, men of the, well, I'm going to say men, but people who speak about issues and they may incorporate some men's rights talking points or some of the, the things that they've learned from the men's movement or the red pill or whatever you want to call it. Why do you think there is so much misinformation and disinformation and propaganda out there against the men's movement? Now, you're asking me to put myself in the mind of uh, a narcissist or a liar. I really don't know why someone would intentionally put out that kind of disinformation. But yeah. at the same time, a lot of disinformation is spread by people who genuinely believe it. And we're conditioned really from birth uh, to believe in this idea of male privilege and patriarchy. And if you genuinely believe in those theories, then I can understand why you might see the men's rights movement as an attack on your own rights. I, I can imagine a, a woman who has grown up believing in patriarchy and male privilege, seeing someone calling himself a men's rights activist and questioning, hey, you're a man. You already have all the rights. What are you talking about? And she may really believe that because she doesn't have the accurate information, she just has the disinformation. But where it comes out of when someone chooses to be dishonest or someone chooses to be disingenuous, uh, who knows? I mean, you'd have to ask them why someone chooses to lie about something important, I really couldn't tell you. Um, I think now it's so conditioned and so ingrained in our minds, really from the time we grow up, that men are privileged and patriarchy exists it's inconceivable to some people that that's not the truth it's it's a it's, it's a really difficult question to answer i don't think I, no, it's okay one answer to that i mean I, I no i get it i i i guess in a way i'm i'm sort of putting it out there to see if you if it's something that you've thought about um i let me ask you this uh and again if you don't have the answer it's not a big deal like we're just talking right this isn't uh there's there, I, there's a, there's there is an interesting there's an interesting there's an interesting theory um, it's something that I've floated around. It's called uh, a political ponderology. And basically, it was this Polish uh, psychiatrist who theorizes that when you look at uh, cases of dictatorships, fascism, uh, disinformation, toxic people, a lot of it boils down to um, antisocial personality disorder, aka psychopaths, and how narcissistic and manipulative people will collaborate and will cooperate kind of symbiotically. Like you help me, I help you. And they form little networks uh, where they uh, try and control information. Another term to know is something called milieu control. And I'm pretty sure I've done videos on both of these things in the past. 
milieu control is essentially a uh, means of mass social manipulation, uh, brainwashing the entire general public. And the way it works is by isolating certain thoughts or ideas or people as inherently wrong and automatically bad. Essentially, it's making a bubble saying anything outside of this bubble has to be wrong and don't listen to it. So therefore, anyone that calls themselves an MRA has to be wrong. Don't listen to them. And it's a very hard thing to fight against. I think human beings by nature are very tribalistic. And uh, I think yeah. people kind of pick their sides. If that mm -hmm. makes sense. And that's a big problem. So, but you managed to, did, would you say that you, you know, in sort of like going down this road and learning about men's issues, uh, did you have to escape that box yourself? Like, were you also, a, you know, um, more on the side of male priv this male privilege idea early on, and then you kind of shook out of it, you know, around the time that you started going down this road to becoming an MRA? Not really. Uh, I didn't really pay a whole lot of attention uh, to gender issues for most of my yeah. childhood. So um, you didn't even have an so assumption that... You know, historically, women have been oppressed and men were in charge, like not even these sort of basic normie positions on gender relations throughout history. You didn't even have that either, or you just didn't even think about I mean, that? I mean, I, I, I knew that was the common narrative, uh, so I was aware that's how most people would think. But, you know, if you were to stop 13-year-old me and ask you know, that question, you know, I might say, well, wait a minute, what about, like, men dying in war? I, I thought about it a little bit. I was aware of it, but not really in depth. Right. Still okay. Around. Yeah. I mean, 17, 19 is kind of when. Yeah. yeah. I, w I was just going to say that's that's sort of like the, the average person. That's what I'm saying. Like, that's a normie position. If I if I went on the street and I approached a, a random person and they let me talk to them and I asked them, you know, do you think that we have historically lived in a society where men ran everything and women were underneath them? Um, in some way, I wouldn't even have to say oppressed or enslaved or whatever. Uh, they would probably say, of course, sure. And they might have different opinions on whether or not that's changed in the last 20 years, in the last 50 years, in the last 100 years. But in general, they would accept that as, you know, history. So th there was a reason why I was asking, because I was just trying to get an idea of where you would sit. So, okay, I'm going to go back to the reason why I'm talking about... Um, like the these like why you think there is so much bad PR, I guess you could call it, or or propaganda about men's uh, rights activists. I want to drill down on a couple of things. So let me ask you this: uh, something else. I don't know if you've thought about this, but if you are involved in activism and you care about fairness, justice, regardless of gender, regardless of any other sort of you know uh, immutable characteristics, let's put it that way. Um, and you uh, uh, talked to someone else and you brought the men's issues to them and they, you know, bought into this propaganda and stuff, but they also claimed to be someone who wants to solve problems that they want to rep They want equality. They want fairness. They want justice, right? Um, why wouldn't they have looked at men's issues before they declared how we have to solve these problems. So like 
for example, feminists and, and you know, uh, I'm only going to use the term feminist because it's think of it as a bit abstract in a way, because a lot of people take on a lot of uh, feminist um, talking points, even if they don't call themselves feminists and and some are more radical than others. So, like, it, you know, it, it's sort of like I'm using it as a blanket term or maybe better yet, I'll just say uh, people who are uh, interested in changing the world to make it better um, and they're looking at it for, through a gender lens like they 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 almost always basically take on the feminist narrative because it's not just something that comes from feminist academia it's the mainstream narrative everywhere you know if you turn on your tv if you watch commercials if you watch a movie if you read a book if you turn on the news uh, everything is sort of filtered through the feminist lens because most of the people involved in those industries went to college and in college you learn everything through the feminist lens. So that's what you're going to carry with you. And that's only if I start at college, it goes all the way back to birth, in my opinion. But and it also, of course, exploits our natural inclination to look at the situation for women primarily, if not exclusively. But if you were a person and this is the, uh, the royal you. If you were a person that legitimately cared about fairness and justice, why would you throw out someone who's trying to show you the blind spot? How can you, uh, you know, this as the saying goes, you cannot solve an equation if you don't have all the variables, right? So um, why do you think people who claim that they're interested in equality, and I'm gonna use the term equality just out of for the sake of simplicity, because I don't think that that's an easy uh, word to use. But why do you think those people wouldn't even want to hear about men's issues? And if they do, they would skew the um, they would skew the conversation around men's issues to blame men for them. Why would they do that if they want to fix the world's problems? Again, I think it's the I think uh, a lot of it's the conditioning. Again, mm -hmm. they've been taught us in this childhood, so that becomes their belief. I think a lot of it also might be fear. If they talk about men's issues in public, they might be ostracized by their friends or their community. Um, but I think that's mostly just the effect of a, a lifetime of propaganda, a lifetime you, of, of being conditioned a certain way. Do you believe um, that you grow they... Up leaving it, and so... Yeah, no, I, I understand. Do you believe that they are aware of what men's issues are, or do you think that they haven't even bothered to look because they don't want to? I think it depends on the person. Mm -hmm. I think some people, um, yes, some people no. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm reminded of because um, there is definitely cognitive dissonance that goes on, and I think that it's 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 not just permissible, but it's encouraged to be hostile towards people who call themselves MRAs. But I'm reminded of a uh, clip from jo the Joe Rogan experience. And Joe Rogan has talked about MRAs a couple of times, and he almost got Karen Strawn on his show. Like for a while, uh, Karen and Joe been Rogan. critical though. I, I know, I'm gonna get to there that. There have been some times when I was, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, but let me just, cause this is the thing that I find interesting. And, and, I, and I do have a lot of criticisms of Joe Rogan based solely in this. You know, there's you can definitely go into other areas, but um, so Joe and Karen were going back and forth via email. Talk, or not Joe, but like someone who helps him organize shows, right? So like an agent or something. And um, probably, 
Yeah, and, and it looked like Karen was going to appear on the Joe Rogan experience, but I thought would have been fantastic because, you know, Karen's really great at conversation and, you know, maybe he would listen to these things. Um, but he ended up canceling on her. And at the time, I think it was because the agent said something or believed that maybe Karen was too contentious. You know, uh, be, being an anti-feminist, which is what Karen is, uh, and also, you know, pro, but probably more than that, being pro men's rights. Because if a woman criticizes feminism, I think that we're more inclined to be like, well, why would she do that? Let's hear her out. Why would she do that? You know, but if a woman speaks out about men's issues, I think that just confuses people. Um, so Karen never appeared on the show. And then I saw Joe Rogan. Uh, yeah, I don't remember what it was. It was some comedian or something that was a guest. But he was discussing men's rights activists. And he said that he had this bit on his stand-up show where, you know, these MRAs are, you know, talking about their issues. And he basically says he wishes he could just grab them and shake them and say, we have them all. We have all the rights. And it's supposed to be the joke. But but what's interesting is is that immediately after that, he goes and talks about how you know um, his old buddy Phil Hartman was murdered by his wife, and you know he was he had all these issues with his I think divorce and and he knows about all these people that these men that he's no children and they have problems with child custody etc. So he literally says men's rights activists shouldn't be talking about men's rights and then pivots to let me tell you about men's rights. <laughs> and then he, he he gets it. Yeah, and then like one he, step. He, it's so confusing because he understands it, but it's like he, he understands the basic uh, issues. Yeah. So it's so confusing. Why is he against men's rights activists? Well, He's, I think know, that strange. I I think in Joe's case, and I'm going to be really really charitable here, but I think in Joe's case, he believes that men's issues exist, but 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 that men's rights activists are not the people that should be discussing them. Because he has also bought into this idea that they're bad people, basically, at least on some level, right? Like, it's sort of like uh, Bill Cosby was recently um, set free from prison, right? And feminists on Twitter are mad about it all over the Internet. And the argument I even shared, I said, well, you know, I explained why, because I knew he was going to probably get off because I knew that, the, you know, something was wrong with the case. And we've been saying that from the from way back when it happened. We were observing this very closely. And I said I wouldn't be surprised if he got released, and sure enough, he did. And feminists were angry. And the and when I would explain to them, well, here are the reasons why this worked out, and it basically has everything to do with the fact that none of this can actually be proven, and we still live in a country that you know where you get due process and you're innocent until proven guilty, usually. But what they were angry about was that they were like, well, but 60 women came forward. And I said, why does that matter? If it's one, if it's 20, if it's 60, if it's a thousand, that that's not what, like the number of people who come forward to say this happened does not prove that it happened. And this is very, very crucial because if you go down that road of, oh, so many people said this, so it must be true, you cannot create reality from consensus. That's extremely dangerous. It gets people killed, right? That's how you had lynchings in the 1800s. That's how you had witch trials 
You know, that that's where that comes from. It's just a bunch of people agreeing on something. That doesn't make it true. So, and I, what I th- and the reason why I brought that up was to say that I think that enough people say these things about men's rights activists, and that, of course they get lumped in with red pillars, PUAs, incels, whatever. It's all the same thing to them. So basically, um, men who think for themselves and have an opinion on, you know, either their issues or dating or women or whatever, and that they don't deserve to be listened to and that they're the worst kind of scum on the planet. And so I think that on some level, uh, Joe Rogan either buys into it or he finds it um, politically expedient to shame men's rights activists while also wanting to be in charge of the conversation around men's rights. Because while it is good that he brought up you know, men's issues in family courts and child custody and paternity fraud, etc., he also brought up uh, that, oh, the MRAs will come up to me and say that men get raped in prison uh, as though it's an issue. And my response to that is that they get raped by other men. And so that means it doesn't matter, right? And so, like, he's basically doing this thing where if a man suffers at the hands of another man, well, then nothing took place and we shouldn't talk about it. So, you know, it, no, it's. I did a video. I actually, if I can just say something really yeah, fast, yeah, go ahead. Uh, I did a video. Uh, kind of comparing that the male on male arguments about how most men are killed by other men. Why do you separate that from the black on black crime arguments? Because mm-hmm. if you're saying one is valid and the other is invalid, then what are you really saying there? Because that's kind of two right. different things. So you, you can't say on one hand, black on black crime isn't an argument because the victim doesn't really matter. Like, who, who hurt the victim doesn't really matter. But at the same time, then dismiss violence against men because, oh, a man did it, so therefore the victim doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like a... Well, it's about, it's about like, focus. Yeah, it is. But, I mean, it's, it's not consistent in a logical sense, but it is consistent from a sort of like how do we control the narrative sense because that's ultimately, in my mind, most of this is sinister and intentional. And uh, because I've been doing this long enough to know that people know the truth or they know that they can, that they don't have the whole truth. And when I say people, I don't mean like everyone. I'm talking specifically about interested parties, you know, uh, academics, media figures, um, etc. Right. People whose job is it is to talk about this. People who write books, people in in schools and they they leave things out, I think, on purpose. Um, but uh, to, to sort of expand on what you're saying about the, the reason why, because, okay, so I was born and raised in Chicago. I moved to Virginia just like last year uh, because I wanted to get away from all of the crime and things were getting worse and worse and worse. And one of my main reasons for taking an interest in men's issues was actually surrounding um, the situation in minority communities although not exclusively, but that's where I was seeing everything. And there was like the problems with gang violence, the problems with uh, drug, uh, drug addiction, alcohol addiction, crime, prison, you know, people failing, teen pregnancy, all of these things were, I was watching them expand and grow and become a bigger problem. And I knew that it had something to do with men, that there was something that wasn't being addressed and they weren't, and I didn't know what it was, but I felt like that was the problem. And as I got closer to it, I realized that, you know, we have a problem with fatherlessness, which is probably the, the core thing. Um, and spawning from that are a, a whole litany of other issues. 
So like when I talk about black on black crime, and I think a lot of people do, well, first of all, I know that it's actually male on male mostly. But when I talk about black on black crime, it's not to, um, let's say, it's not to get to, to shut people up so they don't talk about it anymore. It's to basically say, if the largest victims in, you know, these like minority neighborhoods are minorities being killed by other minorities and they're males across the board, this is a better way to identify the problem. Because when you just say it's white supremacy, you don't solve anything because that, that's like what's happening in those neighborhoods will continue and it'll only get worse. So it's about making people focus on the right aspects, not just like throw out what's not convenient. You know, if you like calling, we've been calling things white supremacy for 50 years and things have only gotten worse in black neighborhoods. That makes no sense. And I know that the real issue, and this is the blind spot, is the male issue. If you address the male issue, if we can have an honest conversation about, you know, um, the, the men's issues, you would solve those problems. I mean, like, it wouldn't be overnight because I think that these issues have to be solved from the bottom up. They have to be, you have to, like, create social change and cultural change. You can't just pass a law. I don't think that will... Um, work out because people have been we're, we're looking at what two or three generations raised under these circumstances it's not easy to shake out but that's why i bring it up you know and yeah men male on male rape or whatever in in prisons obviously doesn't cancel out you know um male victimhood and this is the thing the idea is is that if men are seen more often as aggressors then we should erase them as victims. And what's interesting about that is, here's another way I would bring up a counter argument. I might say, uh, domestic violence, do you know who the largest offenders of domestic violence are, who have the highest cases, the highest rates? Lesbian couples. So if a lesbian beats another lesbian, does a lesbian who's beaten not matter now? Because like, if you reframe it to focus on women, it always works because then oh wait wait that was a woman though right so uh that that's just something i wanted to throw out there i'm sorry for talking for so long. oh but it, it makes sense it, the victim doesn't care who hurt them they're still a victim yes yeah and like honestly like why do we because this is a question i don't know why no one asks why do we make prison rape a part of the sentence. Do you know what I mean? I mean, essentially, if a man is sentenced... Oh, go ahead, go ahead. It's like, why is that considered funny in the first place? Not Uh, only acceptable. Yeah, yeah. We measure that, though. Like, if if a man goes to prison and we learn about it, like, you know, Bill Cosby, or, well... Yeah, okay, let's just use Bill Cosby in his hand. It doesn't really matter. It could be any man. But if, when Bill Cosby gets sent to prison, people that wanted him to go to prison, they're not just happy that he's going to be isolated from his family and from his community for however many years he's going to be away from them and locked in a cell, right? He's also going to get raped and beaten and violated by other men. And... um who themselves were also raped and beaten like this is this is like contributing to that cycle 
And people will react to the impression of a man being sent to prison on the basis of not just the sentence, but the rape and violence that might come as a result. And they take that into account in his punishment. So it's literally, we're, we, we sentence men to prison under the presumption that they'll get raped because for whatever reason, we don't want to protect them. And he could be going to jail for tax evasion or something, right? It wouldn't even be like a violent crime. So, yep. yeah. All right. So anyway, you know, it's, go ahead. Go ahead. There seems to be a little bit of a delay. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Um, I think I'm like two seconds behind. But to me, I kind of see that as the empathy gap manifesting itself. Um, people are less sympathetic to male victims and... Like we said before, less likely to show empathy for male issues or male victims. And mm -hmm. that's just another example of many. Yep. Yeah, it's just, um, I mean, look, the, the, thing that it, the, the thing about the empathy gap is um, it serves a purpose to a degree. You know, like when we were er early on, um, and I, I think it might still to some degree serve some purpose, but... Uh, you know, bear with me. I think that in order for us to build the civilization to the point where it is now, we needed to be able to see men as disposable to some degree. And most men were also willing to, to essentially make those sacrifices. And, um, but I do think that we need to value them as people. And the problem is that we're at a point now where we see them as maximally disposable, but we also have no love for them at all. Like, and this has been reinforced over the last hundred years. So, you know, um, uh, that that's taken that's way too far, right? I mean, in uh, most of the successful civilizations like Rome, uh, while men were still seen as the more disposable sex, we also showed them reverence and love and we honored them so that they were at least getting that out of it and that's all gone or at least almost gone at this point i mean like even men who literally throw their lives away serving this country um they get overshadowed by women who just happen to be in the military so like this is where we are now <laughs> So, and I mean, however you feel about the military aside, there are men who want to serve. So we have to like, you know, uh, we have to we have to wrestle with that. All right. So I got a couple of super chats and then I want to talk a little bit about the Sam Cedar thing. So uh, I mean, I, I wanted to set all this up just so that, you know, I know like where your head is at in terms of like how you've dealt with this and whatnot. Xerox gives us $10 and says, Charles Fourier coined feminism. Marriage is prison for women. Women should compete with men. Simone de Beauvoir, similar to Eve Ensler, influencer of Betty Friedan, feminine mystique. Um, then, and then he gives us 10 more. He wrote three super chats. Then he gives us 10 more dollars and says, then include deck of scent, which blames men for everything and sees the thorough line. What feminists claim they want is wholly different from what they try to achieve. Then he gives us $5 and continues and says, there's an Aspen Institute video on YouTube with speaker Mona Sharon, similar to Sharon. Oh, Mona Sharon, who says in the first five minutes that second wave feminism is anti-family. All right. 
Thank you, Zeranx, for those super chats. Um, do you believe that... Do you believe that caring about women or caring about equality, if we want to use that, that word, uh, necessitates feminism? No. No, okay. Um, I think it... I don't think necessarily, I mean, I have nothing against the feminist movement as a principle or as a philosophy. Um, I would like to see kind of one egalitarian movement, but because of there's so much social division and tribalism, we have men's rights and feminism. But in an ideal world, I think you could have one singular movement, um, a good faith, uh, neutral movement uh, to talk about equality and people helping each other. But because of the way human nature is, we've kind of split off into two different directions. Um, so do I think we need feminism or even men's rights inherently? Not necessarily, no. If society all came together on the same page, we wouldn't need anything, really and truly. Uh, but I would, say, I would say no to that. I'm not against women having a movement for themselves. I'm not against feminism. I would have certainly supported feminism 100 years ago when they were talking about the right to vote. Uh, I would have uh, opposed the White Feather campaign, but I would certainly say that feminists have had valid points in the past and have valid points now. Um, but do I think we need a feminist movement today for equality? I would say no. All right, let me, let me, because uh, that, that, that doesn't quite answer the question, so I might have asked it wrong. What I'm saying is the feminist movement is specific. Um, it's a specific movement with specific doctrines and belief systems. There are core tenets to the feminist movement. Women's rights or women's issues, feminist, the feminist movement claims ownership over it. But my question is, does it actually own that as a concept? Does it own the conversation on gender? Or could a women's no, rights movement completely separate from feminism exist and not be feminism? I think that could exist. Um, I don't think feminism should own the conversation, but I think in practice they kind of do. They control the conversation, but I don't think that needs to be necessary. Yeah. All right, well, the re and, and okay, let me, and let me ask you this. When you, uh, adopt the title of men's rights advocate. Do you take it literally as well as sort of uh, symbolically? Like, do you call yourself an MRA because it's easy for people to identify what that means? Or do you call yourself an MRA because there are actual rights that men don't have that you're fighting for? And if, if there are, what are a couple of them? I would say it's both. Uh, mm -hmm. I would say uh, it's, you know, because it's a good way to identify someone and it's because of the issues that exist. And for some examples, again, in the U.S., uh, circumcision, uh, the Duluth model, um, car insurance, which is something that people kind of don't think about, but is more serious than people might think. Men paying more car insurance per month. That might seem like a my, kind of a minor issue, but I see it as more serious than that. I did a video on this before. That extra $200 might be the difference between being able to afford a car in the first place or not. And then not having a car means you can't get to certain jobs. 
And so now your job opportunity is limited. Um, domestic violence, incarceration rates, even issues that are not necessarily a disparity under law, um, the social gaps and the different way that judges or police or charities treat men because sure. of that way that we have instilled in our brains. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, yeah and there's, just, uh, but to answer the question, I think it's both. Okay. The reason why I bring it up um, is when I watched you appear, when you called into the majority, well, you weren't visually on there, you were calling in, but I watched a video of the majority report and I noticed that Sam Cedar was, uh, he wasn't, he, he was playing rhetorical games with you, right? Like the, the I, I don't know, this is how I see it. He, and, and I've watched, I couldn't even tell you how many debates. I'm subscribed to a couple of different debate channels. I'm described to some channels where they occasionally people call in and the debate the host or what have you on various issues. And I've noticed that a lot of people, they play the debate game uh, in with the goal of trying to win even if they don't have any arguments at all. So they just wanna to appear to be the winner or they want to appear morally superior or whatever it is, intellectually superior most of the time, right? And so when I, I've seen these tactics employed and uh, what Sam Cedar was doing was he's playing these rhetorical games. He was changing the scope of the conversation. So sometimes it was global, sometimes it was just in America and then he'd go back to global and then he'd come back to America. And then there, but like right at the beginning, he, you were explaining um men's issues which were social issues cultural issues right the empathy gap for example um the empathy gap is not a rights issue technically but it leads to rights issues down the line but it isn't like in in on its face and sam cedar was like i want to talk about rights because your name you are a men's rights activist so he was using you know it was like one of those things where he takes you literally but not seriously and um, the and, reason he kind of, and he kind of cut me off because he kind of cut me off when he asked, you know, what is the implication of the empathy gap? And yeah. I was going to answer. The implication is you get these sexist laws because the empathy gap manifests itself under mm -hmm. law. And even if the laws are fair, get that answer out. Yeah. But even if the laws are fair and gender neutral, the empathy gap means that they don't manifest in real life the same way. Like in the UK, for example, they have made misogyny illegal in parts of the UK. I know it started in Nottinghamshire, uh, Nottinghamshire. Sorry for any British people watching, British people watching us. Um, and so there were some who campaigned to add misandry to the law so that it wasn't just, you know, for women. And I think what they did was, uh, maybe I'm wrong about this, you get correct me if I am. I think they basically essentially just made it like gender neutral, which means they included all the non-binary and, and people who don't fit neatly into the gender, you know, binary into that. And they thought it was a victory, but I warned them, and I, and I still believe this strongly, just because you make misandry is as, you know, illegal. I don't like the idea of even going down that road the but if you make misandry illegal along with misogyny you're not going to be able to um take advantage of that law because we don't treat misandry the same way as we treat misogyny because of the empathy gap do you see what i'm saying so like if a man says you know this is misandric 
and I want like justice for it, people are more likely to dismiss it, find it ridiculous. He probably won't even get his hearing. And it, it only not only does it affect people who might want to take advantage of that, but it affects the people in general, like men are less likely to cry sexism than women. So why would the, you're not going to see equality you're going to see this crush men it would have been better if they tried to like if they basically tried to make the whole throw out the whole idea of whatever they're calling sexism because that definition is constantly broadening and it's always broadening in favor of women yeah okay so anyway and uh, something go else, ahead. well go something ahead. else i said when he asked me you know what is masculinity and I started to answer, I think masculinity are the social norms expected of men. And then he cut me off. But I wasn't finished because what I was going to say next was not really comfortable with the idea of coming up with one definition of masculinity because it changes and evolves over time. And it varies by culture, nationality, religion. So I found that to be a somewhat disingenuous question. So what yeah. is masculinity? And then he said, you're a men's rights activist and you don't even know what masculinity is. I would say that a men's rights activist is someone who is still on the journey of answering that question. It's still a question that maybe we don't quite know the answer to yet. So I have, a, I have a, yeah, I have a working answer for that, actually. Um, but it, it has to be prefaced with a couple of things, because this is another thing that Sam Cedar's trying to nail you on. He doesn't actually have an interest in learning the answer to that question. He's trying to find out what he can nail you with because, see, the, it's a trap to try to answer what is masculinity because we have so much um, gender theory which exists primarily to erase masculinity and eventually erase femininity as well. So all of our uh, gender identity is measured and this is the this is just what I've observed, and I've even spoken to professors about this. All of our 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 gender identity is measured by how far away from masculine it is. So the masculinity is the thing on the outside, and everything else is all the inclusive stuff. Like how like as it drifts away from the masculine, it becomes more and more valid and more and more acceptable and more and more diverse until it gets to the absolute feminine extreme. But what I think, and, and this is um, obviously an oversimplified uh, way of viewing human beings because um, it assumes that men are only masculine and women are only feminine. And, that, uh, and, and even though they're claiming that there's all this non-binary stuff and it's a spectrum, that's all just how feminine. It's all just about measuring the feminine only. That's, that's all it is. But the truth is, and this is why I say, you know, it needs to be prefaced. The truth about ma the masculine and the feminine is, first of all, that men and women have both, right? Men, men have masculine and feminine in them. Women also have masculine and feminine in them. And the way that I find makes the most sense, especially in the modern context, is masculinity is um, being aware of how your actions impact the world and the people around you. And femininity is being aware of how you are impacted by other people's actions. Right? So it, it's, and I mean, it's not just me saying women are victims, but I think that women measure their environment in general by how they're affected 
by that environment. And then um, if you want to go to, but like to, to, you can see these patterns. Re, um, how do I put this? Like they repeat themselves over and over in history. It even goes all the way back to the Bible. Um, and probably in, and way before that as well. But I mean, in terms of like what we have written down. So if a, if a woman is in a cave and she, and like we're, we're hunter gatherers and we live on, we live in caves and a woman is in her cave and she's cold and she's pregnant or she's go or, you know, probably pregnant. Cause I think that we spent most of women spent most of their time pregnant back then. Um, and she's uncomfortable. Then her man, the person she pair bonded with, she tells him, you know, it's cold in here. And he says, well, I, I'm going to fix it. And he builds a fire. So he impacts the world. He builds a fire so that she's no longer cold. But he doesn't know that she needs it until she asks him. And the only way she can do that is by observing herself. You know, so it, it is, it is um, a kind of a basic way of doing it. And then if you, again, if you include in that, that men also have that feminineness that they that they occasionally they, they tend to forget about which is the ability to recognize when you have been impacted by something and women also have a masculineness which tells informs them of how their actions impact other people or impact the world then um that's how you get like well-balanced human beings and so i believe those are the best most abstract definitions without getting into gender roles um because I think that's the trap, you know, when when progressives talk to you about, you know, what is masculine or what does it mean to be a man? And um, you start saying things like, you know, a lot of conservative types will say protector provider for women. And then they, they use it against you. They say, oh, you're a trad con. You want women barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen, blah, blah, blah. So I'll just say, you know, it's about awareness of how your actions affect the world versus awareness about how the world affects you. Yeah. yeah, and I think it could be useful because they can't attack that. And I it's true. I mean look look you maybe look into have you um read any Carl Jung? The psychologist? Not really. He he okay well Carl Jung talks a lot about that too. Uh, I think they call it the divine masculine, the divine feminine. Um, I, I'm not saying that he's like the last word, but I think it's pretty interesting. Also, uh, Professor Jordan B. Peterson has talked about this. He, he basically talks about it in terms of the yin yang. And I think the yin yang is, you know, as as wooey as that might be, it basically sums it up. You know, the, if the, the yin, I think it's the yin that's the feminine and the yang is the masculine. And then within the yin yang, you have like the, you know, the black and the white. There's like a small dot in the yin yang of the opposite color so it's basically the masculine with a dot with a touch of the feminine for balance and the feminine with a touch of the masculine for balance and then they come together because that that's the thing about men and women i i know that that men and women have become pretty tribal but that's that's like a very recent development uh you know for the most part we work oh, i think together. if you take I've always said when it comes to gender stereotypes, I think there is some natural inclinations uh, for men and women. I think if you took a million men and a million women and you studied them over 10 years, you would see some trends emerge. You would see that men are more likely to do this and women are mm -hmm. more likely to do that. 
And it doesn't mean that you should be shamed for not doing that because some of the men might be doing what the women are doing and some of the women might be doing what the men are doing. It's not about shaming people. If a boy likes Barbies and a girl likes G.I. Joes, that's totally fine. But I do think that if you were to separate men and women and you were to kind of study different patterns and trends, you would see there is an innate masculinity in kind of, I don't want to say it's like you're born with it automatically because I do think social factors influence it as well. But it's kind of like a, a cycle. We have these inherent psychological trends and those yeah. kind of become social trends and it kind of re reinforces itself in a circle, if that makes any sense. Yeah, but I think social factors are also evolved traits. So like the, the social, the nurture, the, the, the nature argument, or no, I'm sorry, not the nature, the nurture, the nurture position is true, but it's a little bit incomplete. In my opinion, um, how we are socialized is also evolved to, to an extent, right? And it's specifically, I think it comes, it does come from women too, because they spend the most time with young when they are, you know, up, well, from the moment they're conceived and until, you know, like the early um, developmental time that they are spent with her. And then as they move away, as they get older, they sort of, they don't drift away from their mothers, but they start to connect with their fathers. And then the father teaches them about boundaries and so on. And, and what, what you're saying about the million men, million women thing, this is something else that I think is really important. Um, the way in which men and women want to form families, if they want to form families, how many kids they want to have, whatever. Uh, obviously, that's up to them. I'm, I'm all about liberty. I'm all about people choosing how they want to live their life, what they want to do with their families. And I, I honestly despise the idea of socially constructing people in the way that you think that they should be. Um, and I prefer to just leave people alone to their own devices. But if you do leave people to their own devices, you will get gender roles. I mean, like if you, like you, you, you brought up, um, did you bring up Sweden? I think earlier. Or maybe it was a different country that's sort of close by. There, it's all IKEA to me. But I think I was talking. I think I was talking about. Um, I think I brought up Norway uh, and or Sweden in terms of uh, conscription. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. For so Norway has become. Although, just to know, Norway actually became uh, gender neutral in conscription uh, a few years yeah. ago, yeah. and uh, feminists actually protested against the equality. Uh, before it was male only conscription. And then the uh, government changed the law, so now it's men and women. And feminist groups actually protested against making conscription uh, gender neutral. I would say I'm shocked, but then I would be lying. Um, if they really didn't, because, okay. In Sweden? Well, the thing I was going to say about Sweden is, is that uh, from what I understand, it might be Sweden. And if I'm, I'm wrong about this, again, let me know, because I get my Nordic countries all mixed up. But I believe in Sweden, they worked harder than any other country for gender equality. They were going for gender parity across the board, except for conscription, but every, because of, obviously that doesn't matter apparently, but like, uh, you know, as far as like the wage gap and these other things, you know, the, these other things that get brought up and how it, but the thing is, is that despite all of that, the gap between men and women only grew. Because women have different interests. It's, than it's funny you say that because uh, in Sweden, I know what you mean. They have all these laws about gender parity. 
And they have a law um, that basically says for institutions, like social institutions, such as education or employment or like boardrooms of companies, you know, CEOs, managers, you have to have a 60-40 ratio most. It can't be any more than 60-40 ratio of men to women. So if a company has 62% uh, CEOs, then that's in a violation of the law because 60-40 is the greatest ratio that you're allowed to achieve. Yeah. However, this is back in 2010, in the education system, uh, women outnumbered men so much in the Swedish education system that university students were 61% female and only 39% male. So guess what they did? They amended the law saying that education would be exempt from the ratios and the quotas. Sure, so just change the law. Quota law, 60, yeah. 40, 60, 60 yeah. 40. And then as soon as it was the one place where men were behind, they changed the law to exempt it. Yeah, I mean, that doesn't surprise me at all. Um, were there any other, because I'm, you know, I, I, I'm going back to the Sam Cedar thing. Um, were you hoping to change anyone's mind on there when you called in? Yeah. I mean, I was actually calling kind of with an olive branch because I know they're a very progressive and leftist show. But the thing is, I always say the men's rights movement is not a right wing movement. It's not a left wing movement. It's not conservative. It's not liberal. There are MRAs all over the spectrum. There are capitalist MRAs, socialist MRAs. It's just a movement talking about men's issues. Uh, there's even a subreddit that's uh, very popular. Uh, it's called Left Wing Male Advocates. Sure. And it's something that I've read a lot, and it's a good subreddit. But basically, I was just calling Sam and Emma and Nomi to have a conversation. And, you know, maybe you can kind of tell with this interview my style of debate. I like to listen as much as I like to talk. Because if you're not listening to a person's opinion, how can you refute it? How can you disprove someone's opinion if you don't even listen enough to understand what they're trying to say? So, you know, when I have a debate or a conversation, it's exactly that. It's a conversation. It's two people talking and listening to each other. And when I'm watching somebody in a debates, uh, like when I watch uh, political debates and primaries and whatnot, I judge a person, a politician, a debater or whatever, just as much by what they don't say as by what they do say. So, you know, did I think I was going to convert Sam and Emma and Nomi to men's rights activists? No, I don't. But I thought, you know, maybe we can have a good conversation. I'm going to say what I believe and, you know, maybe kind of show them that the men's rights movement is something that they should look into and take seriously. Maybe there's a lot of progressives, left-wing men who understand these male issues but don't feel like there's a conversation about it. So, you know, I, I didn't call with any intentions to, like, convert them or trap them or trick them sure. or switch them. I just called to talk. Yeah, yeah. That's all there is right. to it. Yeah, I think that I think I may have say, said this when when uh, Aaron, Allison and myself were responding. Essentially what the you, you and 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 Sam Cedar and company had different goals. Uh, when you came together, you wanted to exchange ideas and have a conversation. And if, you know, hopefully something rubs off and they think about it and, you know, and, and maybe even more less um, 
with less of a need for optimism and something that's a more realistic goal would be that someone who is watching the show who's on the fence or doesn't you know they'll get something out of it that's usually why i do these things is i'm not trying to change the mind of the person i'm talking to um i mean if it happens that's great but usually i'm trying to you know get someone who's watching to like think about these issues in a different way um but that's that didn't seem to me what the the hosts of the show were trying to do uh they thought well this will make for a really great video clip and we'll basically just win the discussion so it was basically there's like talking to someone or even having a debate for greater understanding because maybe you might learn something from them, right? So you have to make, remain open-minded. They might teach you something and hopefully you'll teach them something and then you'll both be richer for it or you just want to win and dominate, right? Um, exactly. And I think exactly. that, yeah, and I think that because you guys were both coming at this with completely different uh, objectives, this is why I wouldn't say it was a waste of time because I know I did look in the comments section underneath and there were people who were like, oh, you know, this guy makes good points. And then there were some people who were like, this is how patriarchy hurts men, too. Um, but, you know, I think that it but I actually got emails. I got emails from some of his viewers saying, listen, you know, I still disagree with the men's rights movement and I'm a fan of Sam. But the way you were treated was very unfair. And I picked up quite a few subscribers to my channel, too saying you know what listening to how you presented yourself and how you stayed calm uh made me interested in looking at your channel yeah so in a way it was beneficial for me yeah there you go well i mean it can't it can't hurt it can't hurt um so i wanted to go back and ask about something from before um i uh, i i can't remember right now but I, I want to say, because we've gone for about an hour, I want to go a little bit more. I just got a super chat. Um, the Great Indoors 1979 gives us five euros and says, Brian, please steer this conversation towards the world and then back to the U.S. again. This talk is too non-confrontational. <laughs> He's joking. He's joking. Um, <laughs> so uh, I guess... I, I, I get, well, you know what? I want to talk a little bit about the politics part of, of this since you brought it up. Um, I, in, I have always maintained that I would like, and this is important, I would like men's issues to be seen as nonpartisan. I don't think it should be. Um, and, and 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 I would also even add on top of that that it shouldn't even be a political position or political issue because I think the overwhelming majority of men's issues are not even like something that can be fixed through legislation or passing laws or using the state um, because most of it is socio-cultural and. Um, it's about essentially uh, that, might, that might vary from jurisdiction to jurisdiction uh, and mm -hmm. country to country. That might vary. I think it's a mix of both. I think some of it is uh, sociology and some of it is uh, legal disparity. I would say it's probably true that in the United States, a lot of the issues are more social issues. But you can maybe make a case, for example, the education gap. You know, men are less likely to go to university. People might say, well, that's not a legal disparity. That's a social disparity. But I might consider the fact that there were more scholarships available for women 
than for men. Sure. If that was the other way around, if there were more scholarships for men than for women, do you think Congress might take action on that? Of course, but but the but the the I think my question is is that do we want them to be taking action on these things when they well, for one they don't they don't tend to think men are deserving of these things and we could also be asking because sometimes okay with the with the college thing right uh, in a way that's starting the story in the middle because I would ask what well are we giving are because there are more group women that attend college. And on the one hand, yeah, we're giving more scholarships to women. But on the other hand, women are also accruing a lot more debt from going to college. And they're not, they don't have anything to show for it. And so then, like, I think the better question, or at least to start off, I would back off a little bit. And this is moving away from the gender thing. But I would be asking the question, uh, what is college good for? And, and then, like, go from there. Because it's like, you know, if you asked a woman who went to college... And you would, and let's say that she took advantage of every scholarship that was available to her. She might have a different position because she's $80,000 in debt and she doesn't have a job. She's working at Starbucks or Jimmy John's sandwiches or something because her choice to take a certain major did not result in a career. And so, like, um, I, I agree with you in terms of like these, these, um, you know, these, like I guess you could say these policies um, that give women more scholarships or more advantages or whatever, but it seems like the outcomes are also in their own way, they're bad for anyone who attends university because the quality of the education itself isn't very good. And maybe men are lucky for not going to college. Maybe they should be, you know, we should be encouraging them to go to trade schools or um, technical schools or something that isn't, you know, going to give them a worthless degree. So it's a little bit complex, but I guess what I'm, what I, I want to go back. Well, actually, do you want to say anything to that really quick before I go back to the social cultural thing? No, um, the concern that I have for colleges today is that it's such a hostile environment for men. I remember I was at the University of Miami. I was doing a film project. I wasn't a student at the time, but I was there. And, um, when I walked through the hallways, there were all these posters, these very strongly languaged posters about male privilege, toxic masculinity, feminism. And I can just imagine, and I hear this, like, you hear this all the time, you know, guys go to college and they say that they're instantly put in this very hostile environment where maleness is taught as a bad thing, as a toxic thing. And almost as if like, they're not welcome there or they shouldn't be there. Yeah. So um, that's my, that's my biggest concern for college. No, I agree with that stuff with title nine, all that, but, but that even goes, I, I'll, I'll be right back. Give me one second. Sorry. No problem. All right. Let me read your, already read your super chat. Um, we're going to be wrapping up pretty soon. If you guys want to send any super chats with your own comments, I know, uh, you guys might have a lot to say. Just send send them before I wrap up in the next uh, probably the next ten minutes, fifteen minutes. So, okay, what was I saying? Oh yeah, yeah. The, so the, yeah, education is extremely hostile uh, towards men, and it starts at in kindergarten. It starts probably in daycare, which technically isn't education. But um, and I don't know if you know this, but I hey, think statistics. Let, let me let me tell you this. Uh, there's a study. 
I've seen where by age six, both boys and girls think that girls are smarter. Mm -hmm. And there have been several studies. Um, one of them was um, a woman, actually. Um, and she did a study uh, with the MIT School of Economics showed that not only do boys get lower grades at every subject at every age, boys get lower grades for the same work. And when you control all factors, uh, it's undeniable that a male student, a female student doing identical work will get different grades. And the study found that when you control for all factors, male students from elementary school all the way through high school get lower grades for the same work. And there is a gender bias in grading where boys are getting lower grades for the same work. Now, of course, the implications of that means that those boys are less likely to go to college. And the implication of that is they are less likely to earn as much money. And it's, like you said, it starts, it really it really does start that young, four, five, yeah. six years old, yeah. I mean, you could say it starts right at the beginning. You know, I've often done this rant uh, where I, try to describe the life of what I think is actually the, it's not, it may not be the average yet, but it's becoming the average boy uh, because the, the statistics are not in their favor and they are increasing. So from, if the boy is not aborted, which isn't a gender issue per se, um, when he is born, his penis is cut right off the bat. So he starts off suffering. And then when he, he is, uh, more and more likely to be born without his father present, which means that um, if that is the case, then he is also more likely to be physically beaten by his mother when, you know, essentially when she can't handle him. Uh, because this is one of the things that a good father can do. And, I, and I'm going to I'm going to be specific about good father because um, obviously there are bad fathers. But another issue with this is that uh more and more fathers even fathers that are in their families that are, are that are in the lives of their children were also raised by single mothers and were themselves beaten which means that they learn uh what they learn from that is that force is used to raise children properly because that's how they were raised like you can see this in a lot of communities where they say well i would have you know, uh, if you see like, I don't know, some video that goes around the internet of a child misbehaving and everyone's talking about how they would have beat him with an inch of their life or something, um, which is common. So you learn that force can be used to, to correct behavior and you might do that to your kid if you're even in their life as a father. You might do that because you're repeating the cycle. This is something that Aaron Pitsy has talked about uh, very frequently, the cycle of violence. So... There is that. And then the child who may have experienced all those things where they're beaten by their mother or their father or a stepfather or a, a boyfriend or a, a relative or a grandparent, then they go into daycare as soon as possible because the mother can't afford to, you know, she needs to work uh, two jobs or, or something, right? So she can't be around him. And in the daycare center, boys are mistreated. They are treated as second-class citizens. Um, because the, the, the people in daycare all the way up to university, 85%, I think tend to be feminist like that. They believe in this idea of patriarchy and male privilege as a default mindset. I don't just mean like normie people. I mean, like academically trained feminists that have read like, you know, Gloria Allred or something. 
And so they're going to treat the boys differently, poorly, generally. And then when those when those boys go into K through 12, then, um, well, you've already talked about it. Like they've already learned that women or girls are better and smarter. They're, they're denied recess because we don't really do that anymore. Um, those boys don't get to, their reading uh, education is stunted because they're not like reading the kinds of stories that they like and because everything's geared towards the feminine. Um, and if they, if they don't behave in the way that the teacher who's you know, running the class thinks they should be, which I don't know what that is, it might differ from student to student, well, they're probably gonna get diagnosed with ADHD or something and get put on medication. And then when they go into high school, you know, they're, um, and they, they hit puberty and they become sexually attracted to girls, well, then things get even worse for them. There was a high school in the UK where a bunch of uh, high school girls had, a teacher created a website where a bunch of high school girls could go and anonymously uh, essentially write about, you know, sexual harassment or assault or rape or whatever and claim that they experienced it. Now, um, the problem with this is, is that no one asks for evidence. No one asks for anything. So girls could literally anyone could literally make an account and write a story about whatever they want. And people just have to believe it. And those boys in that UK school, they have to change out of their uniforms for fear of vigilante justice even though there's no evidence against them. And so, you know, you learn to fear girls. And of course, I'm not gonna exempt girls from this because girls are themselves trained very early on to fear boys, to fear boys for their predatory behavior. Well, like claims is that they're predatory and they're violent and they're abusive. So girls fear boys and boys fear girls. And this is just high school. And if they get out of that, well, when they get to university, then they get trained um, by their university professors in useless subjects um, that aren't actually going to give them careers or, you know, any useful job unless they make it a point to pursue that. And that's if, by the way, they don't end up in a street gang, addicted to drugs, uh, shooting up a school because of all the depression and all the medication that they're on, right? Um, if they manage to survive that, then when they get into university, they're going to learn that um, either they themselves are oppressors just based on their gender and the color of their skin, or that they will learn that all of their problems is actually uh, stems from, you know, the, the country itself, which is totally against them, and that what they need to do is become revolutionaries and don't work and just abandon all of that and, you know, help us tear down the country. And so they do. They join Antifa. They join Black Lives Matter. Like we have talked about on the show how, you know, uh, radical Islamist groups, uh, groups like Antifa, they are the product of boys who have been abused and they're directionless and they've been educated on, you know, uh, how evil like everything outside of themselves is. And these organizations are all run by women, often women in academia. And so if they get through that, if they manage to survive all of these things without, you know, their lives being ruined um, and, and they don't have like tons and tons of debt, they probably still won't get a job that is going to pay well enough that another woman will want to be with them because women are looking for men that make more than them. And at a younger age, like in their 20s, when it's time to start families, women are not interested in either having kids at all or getting involved with men uh, that make less than them. So even though feminists have pushed so hard with the last 100 years of social upheaval to essentially say that gender roles don't matter and that men should not be providers and protectors, 
Well, the one the one peop, the one group of people that they never asked about this to get their approval is women because women still want men who who are providers and protectors even though they've gone to college and done all of that. And this of course upsets women. They can't find a man that meets their criteria and it upsets men because they can't find a woman who thinks that they're good enough. And what does that result in? If again, this, this is this is the domino effect and it it stems at the end of the day from um the empathy gap so no law will change and i know that there are laws that should but until we see men as fully human beings that need help from the from the moment they are born when we cut their penises right from the moment they are born if we can't see them as fully human and we don't and the worst part is is that men are still the most productive people like in society they're somehow managing to keep this country just above water, despite all of that, which is a miracle in and of itself. And if we can't see that, then we'll never change any laws because the people in power that would do that, um, they, see, they have no interest in it. And I can explain why that is in a second, but you see what I mean? You see the, from the moment men are born, from the cradle to the grave, like there, there's no empathy. I wanna go back to something you said. Um, you said how these young men are brainwashed or disenfranchised or conditioned, and so they go and join groups like Antifa. I think the other side to that is a lot of those young men, uh, they start drifting towards the men's rights movement or the so-called alt-right because they feel like no one's listening to them. And they feel yeah, like well, yeah, the they only join, place where they can speak freely. Yeah, they go to white supremacist groups as well. Movement. This is the thing, like, uh, I, I mean... They, they join, they become lost, and they do, they, that, that's how they get into extremist groups. Um, I didn't include white supremacist groups, not on purpose, I guess. It, I just don't find them to be a threat, but um, because they're, they're, they, they're small, they don't have any power. But, but yeah, it's the same thing, you know, it, it's, and, it, and the thing is, it's all, it doesn't matter what extremist groups they join, whether they're neo-Nazis, white supremacists, Antifa, other communist radical groups, Black Lives Matter, whatever. It doesn't matter which group it is. The reason why they're doing it is because they're looking to serve. They're looking to, to for their lives to have meaning because this is the thing. When I said earlier, what is masculinity? It is a recognition of how your activities, how your actions impact the world. This is why men... And boys, from the moment they're very young, they want to be useful. They want to have utility. And so if they think that that means joining a communist group or joining a Nazi group or joining an Islamist group, then they'll do it. That's literally what happens in radical Islamic terrorist cells. The men there, they want to serve. So it's, you know, and I, and I treat them all the same. I don't care where, you, you know, if it's a religious thing or whatever. I see where it's coming from. It's in our biology. Yeah. And I think it's only made worse when you have this concept of toxic masculinity. So boys are learning from a very young age that you're wrong because of the way you were born. You were born the bad gender you were born the gender that needs to apologize. Your mere existence is a need for an apology. I mean, just imagine what that does to a child psychologically, what kind of damage that's gonna do. Mm -hmm. And you see, from the moment you can watch TV or the moment you can read, of all of these different voices telling you, oh, the way you were born, your gender is inherently wrong and bad. 
Just imagine what that would do to someone. Oh, and I can only imagine, you know, I went to high school uh, around, you know, uh, 2008, 2010, you know, early 2010s. But I can only imagine how bad it is now. I can't imagine being a child now subjected to the propaganda and the pure hatred and misandry. You know, what that does to someone. It's very yeah. scary. You know, yeah. and when you look at historical uh, uh, examples of uh, fascist countries or dictatorships, it always starts with that gradual dehumanization of someone. It always starts with picking a group and saying, this group is bad. This thing is wrong, inherently wrong. So look at these people as bad people. Uh, it's a silencing yeah. tactic, more or less. Yeah. And, you know, there was that study. There was a study uh, a few months ago. 50% of 16 to 24-year-old males in the UK are anti-feminist. And feminists, I remember all these articles saying how disappointed they were and how shocked they were. And their first response was to say, you know, we need to really lecture these boys on what feminism is. And I was thinking, you know what, maybe no, maybe your first response shouldn't be we need to lecture them and correct them. Maybe our first response should be we should listen to them. Ask them, why do you feel this way? What is your lived experience with feminism? Instead of immediately thinking, nope, you're wrong. Let's correct you. Yeah, they could do that, but I'll tell you what'll happen. They'll ask the boys to explain to them what it is, and then when the boys say so, they'll say that's not feminism. It's exactly the same conversation that's going on right now where there are parents that are um, concerned about this critical race theory thing, which is basically just an offshoot of critical theory, which is itself intersectional feminism. And whenever they say, well, these are the things I don't want happening to my child, the person defending critical race theory says that's not critical race theory because it's a rhetorical game. So, I mean, I get what you're saying. They should be doing that if they legitimately cared. I just don't think they do because I've been trying this for so long. There seems to be this. It's either again, it's either a mental block that they don't want to deal with. And there could be that could be some truth to that, because if you realize that something that you've believed in for decades and decades um was actually doing harm to someone when you thought it wasn't, you wouldn't want to look at it because it would hurt you too much to learn, you know, how bad that was. It's like, um, what I've done. Yeah. Yeah. Like think about it. Like, uh, you know, uh, well, I guess I'll go ahead and, and invoke Godwin's law. Uh, when, before Hitler killed 6 million Jews, he was very popular with people. You know, they thought he was up to doing some good work and then the Holocaust and World War II happened, and imagine being one of those people that thought he was okay until you, until this happens. Are you just going to block it out of your mind, like, oh shit, you know, what have I done? Or are you going to uh, confront that reality and said, I made a terrible mistake by supporting this because it resulted in this. And I, I think that um, this is the thing that a lot of people are struggling with. Like they they have a belief system. And it sounds really nice on paper, but the way in which it's it's manifesting in the real world is doing real harm. And uh, if you try to tell them, you know, some of this stuff is pretty innocuous, but this stuff here, it's like hurting boys because you have this mindset that you haven't just positioned women as needing help, but you're positioning men as the reason why. And as you... Like you said, as you discuss that more and more and more, you dehumanize and, and them. And not needing help. 
So not only yeah, are men course. the reason why women need help, but also that men don't need any help at all. Well, more than that, that that women that men need to be taken down a peg so that women will get their help because it is about attack. imagine like, a teacher. Yeah, imagine a teacher who has that mindset of taking men down a peg, teaching kindergarten to first grade. Yeah, well, and I mean it's, it's a scary but it thought. happens. It yeah, and it and it it's happen. that's a, it's happening now. Yeah, it's happening now. It didn't happen when I was a kid, um, but it changed while you know I was growing up. So another thing about, I'm going to go back to the uh, majority report. Um, did you mean to upset those girls on the show? Because they got really angry. <laughs> yeah. Look, um, first of all, I mean, I was willing to call and talk to anybody. Um, mm. So Nomi made this ridiculous accusation of sexism where she was saying the reason why I wasn't engaging with her and the reason why I wanted a one-on-one with Sam was because I was afraid of debating women. When the reality is, I was so put off by her comment when I brought up male victims of domestic violence, and she talked about going to throw up. Okay, that was so off-putting, you know. But the main reason why um, I wanted to talk to Sam one-on-one, because I was being constantly cut off and interrupted by three people. And so I thought, okay, this is nonsense. Um, let me call out the person whose name is on the show. It's called the Majority Report with Sam, not the Majority Report with Nomi. Mm-hmm. So, and there was a, a time when I was going to answer something that Emma said, and Sam cut me off. So I was, ans- I was literally answering. Emma was talking about Medicaid for all, and I was going to actually answer her on that one. And Sam cut me off mid-answer. So they act like I wasn't willing to talk to women, which is complete nonsense. Um, as far as I'm concerned, I'm going to put this out publicly. Um, all three of them, any three of them, are invited to come to my channel to debate, or I'll go back and debate. Mm-hmm. If we can behave ourselves, you know, I'll go back. Absolutely. And Sam has said he wants to come on my channel. So let's be, let me say that publicly once again. He's welcome on my channel. So is Emma. So is Nomi. I'll go on their channels. Um, so, no, I didn't mean to upset them at all. I was hoping for a productive civil conversation, and I was very disappointed with the result. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm not. It didn't surprise me at all. I was hoping that they would, you know, sort of like you know, maybe maybe create more, you know, of a huff. But, but yeah, they were pretty upset. Um, the women were. The women were. Uh, I think Sam was kind of enjoying him a new, a good... Uh, clip that he could post but I, I don't know i think that overall though i think that was a good thing that you went on there i you know i will close out by saying that and i think that you know it's good that you got some subs out of it and people are going to you know uh think about this and honestly the hostility from the hosts only makes you look better right because um it makes like, like you, you said, said there like, were... like you said a lot of his own a lot of his own followers uh commented that even emailed me. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's true. If you go to that video and you sort the comments by new, the majority of people seem to hold that view. Yeah, yeah. Although some of them may have come from our audience to comment because we just uh, did a response like a couple. Maybe I don't know. Maybe I'm just being a little bit of an optimist. Okay. Are there any final words or thoughts that you have before I close this out? Uh, again, thanks for having me on. 
And to anybody who wonders, what is the men's rights movement really about? You know, are we misogynistic? Are we incels? Are we the alt-right? The answer to that is no. The men's rights movement believes in equality for everybody, all races and all genders. Uh, one of the myths is that the men's rights movement is only for white men. That's a myth because men's issues affect men of all races. And the men's rights movement talks about male issues all over the world. And many famous, famous MRAs are women, such as Karen Strong, such as Elizabeth Hobson, such as Cassie J, such as Erin Pizzi. So the reason why I'm a men's rights activist because I believe in equality and fairness and justice for all. And I don't think that we need to be enemies with feminism, but the things that feminist organizations say and do are so often the opposite of equality, we don't have a choice but to respond to it. So people that say that we're just reactionary against feminism, well, why wouldn't you react to something like that? So. That's kind of, you know, if, if you're going to say something sexist, we're going to respond to it. But at the end of the day, uh, we believe in equality for everybody. And I'm proud to be an MRA. And yeah, that's how I feel about it. Okay. And to Sam and to Emma and to Nomi, you know what? Um, I think we can do better next time. So let's set, up, let, let's set something up and have a real conversation, a real debate. Not even a debate. Let's call it a conversation. Let's just talk, but also let's listen as well. All right. Sounds good. Uh, thank you for coming on and talking about this with me. Maybe we'll have you on again sometime. We can, we can uh, wrestle with some other things, uh, some other ideas, maybe expand on some stuff. So thank you guys for joining us. I'm going to go ahead and close this out. Um, so if you guys like this video, please hit like, subscribe if you're not already subscribed, hit the bell for notifications and leave us a comment. Let us know what you guys think about this. Uh, the link to, uh, Blue's channel is in the description. So go ahead and check it out. Uh, you know, give them some support as well. And, uh, yeah, thanks so much for coming on today's episode of the Fireside Chat. And we will talk to you guys in the next video. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.